So uh, this morning, imagine, I'm going to talk about the resurrection. <laughs> well, the title of the message is, The Cross and the Resurrection Are Inseparable. You know, years ago, I used to, you know, you would have the, the Good Friday service, and you'd have the crucifixion and, and all that that went on with Jesus and his betrayal and the flogging and, and all that. Then you'd have Easter Sunday, and Easter Sunday is the resurrection. And it was almost like you uh, didn't mix the two. But in reality, they're inseparable. If you don't have Good Friday and, you know, Easter doesn't matter. But if you have Easter and no Good Friday, it really makes no, it doesn't work. So it's a combination because Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. And in order to do that, he had, he had to pay the penalty. The penalty is the shedding of blood. And we'll talk about all those things as we go through this morning's message. And it should take at least less than an hour. So <laughs> to all of those who just came in, I know you want to leave. But uh, <laughs> it's, that's just a little joke there. Um, 45 minutes. But anyhow, no. <laughs> so anyhow, we're grateful for how that... Uh, God has blessed us and God has brought us to this place and this point in time. You know, you can't have one without the other. You can't have Good Friday, the cross, without the resurrection. In the cross, if you've ever seen the uh, movie The Passion that was on, it was on again uh, this past Friday uh, evening for a number of number, uh, repeats going through the evening. Uh, if you've ever seen that movie and, and, and watched the, the, the beating and the... Uh, scourging that takes place in that movie and you think wow they overdid it no they didn't <laughs> it was just that bad or worse in the real life when Jesus went through this scourging and beating that uh, the Romans found someone their hatred for the Jewish people and for being in that area of the country they found someone that they could take out all of their anger on and so the cross was a uh, uh, the cross is important as the altar upon which God would offer himself for the salvation of mankind. So we find also that the resurrection, um, Jesus, the resurrection is what verifies or gives to us the proof that what Jesus taught us is real. That what Jesus has taught us in the Gospels and what Paul and the apostles and the others have written about in the New Testament that it has meaning and it has purpose. So if we ask ourselves, which is greater, the cross or the, re the cross, the resurrection, which one is it? And the reality is they are inseparable. There are historians, so if we begin to look at this, some of the first arguments that people come up with, well, it's not an historical fact. It's just something that is written in the scriptures and, you know, some people believe that and some people don't. Well, there are historians, um, Lucia and uh, Thales, consider the crucifixion of Jesus an actual event. These are, Jew these are historians of the time. And uh, Tacius and Josephus also referred to the resurrection of Jesus. So there are historical documents outside of the scriptures that make reference to the life of Jesus and make reference to his death. And if you consider the large number of martyrs that... that uh, Get, willingly gave their life and would not give up their faith. Um, they wouldn't die for a myth. They died knowing that they were safe in uh, their faith with Jesus Christ. So this leads us to the conclusion that the crucifixion 
and the resurrection of Jesus Christ are historical events. Now, I was thinking that the evidence, okay, the evidence of trying to find the body, that was one of the early arguments, that uh, they, were, they, they couldn't find the body of Jesus. So the, uh, he was uh, taken by his disciples. Well, if we read the accounts in the Gospels, we find out the disciples are hiding. They're not about to go confront Roman soldiers and, and fight for the body of Jesus. So the evidence of being, uh, the evidence of to prove that, the, that Jesus' body disappeared and uh, lies with the Romans and r- lies with the Jewish um, leaders and the high priest and the Sanhedrin and the, the Sadducees who didn't believe in a resurrection, they did everything they could to guard against this happening. They put Roman soldiers at the tomb. They put the seal of the Roman government on the tomb, and they did everything they could to make sure that the body of Jesus Christ didn't disappear. So whenever we would look back at the event, sometimes we look at the scriptures and say, oh, that's just religious people talking. But we know that in the actual events of the time period, that there were those who were afraid that the body of Jesus would disappear. So these Jewish leaders, they put everything in place to make sure that the body didn't go away. And I think of it as uh, the only thing that the um, Jewish leaders, they were not willing to give up their power and position. So they did everything to try and disprove the reality of, the, of, of Christ being risen from the dead. Now, there was some very actual evidence for them. The earthquake that took place at the death of Jesus split the temple, inside the temple, split the curtain uh, that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. And the Holies of Holies was where God's dwelling place was. And so Jesus was saying that he is providing access to God. So whenever we pray, whenever we ask, we have direct access to the throne room of God. And so all of this was provided by the death of Jesus on the cross. And these Jewish leaders, these high priests and and the Sanhedrin and the uh, council, they were willing to sacrifice the nation of Israel so that they would not lose their power and their position. So they were fighting against all of these ideas that a a Messiah was coming. Even though Jesus had fulfilled all of the rules, all of the regulations, all of the prophecies, they weren't willing to see it. So as we then begin to look at some of the scriptures, why would he need to come? Well, in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, Moses was sprinkling with blood the tent itself and all the sacred vessels. So in the Old Testament, what happened was that the high priest, in this case Moses, um, would take the blood of the lamb. In, in, in Jewish time, there was, not, there was no sacrificial people. They didn't sacrifice children. <laughs> Those were the pagans. They sacrificed a lamb. And so the priests and so on, they would lay their hand on the lamb as if it were transferring their sins to this lamb. And then they would sacrifice that lamb and take its blood. 
and that blood was applied to the altars and to all the vessels in the tabernacle, and that was the way that it was cleansed. So without the shedding of blood, there is no cleansing, there's no remission of sin. So whenever we see that the death of Jesus Christ, his life on the cross, his death on the cross, the shedding of his blood was for our cleansing of our sin. He became the sacrifice so that all who would believe would have eternal life. And then uh, one, of the, one of the other things that come along with it, that whenever we believe, whenever Christ has, we ask Christ to forgive us and live within our heart, there's a justification. I know it's a big word, but justification, it always, I always um, try to make things simple because it, it's easier for me to understand. Um, <laughs> that's a really small joke. But anyhow, <laughs> justification means just as if I had never sinned. So I am justified before God so that all the sins that I have committed that God, is, that God moves me and moves a willing person from a state of sin to a state of grace, meaning by his grace we are saved. <laughs> you know, we have to understand, and there's one little thing that goes with grace, right? When we are justified before God, we are forgiven. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us, washes us, washes our soul. There's no trace of sin left. See, so many people live with a guilty conscience that we don't have to have a guilty conscience. Well, I failed, I did this, I did that. God, didn't give, God does not give that to us. God gives us freedom in our hearts and our minds so that there would be nothing that would cause us to, that would keep us from coming to God in prayer or asking God for direction asking God for help. So God has provided, through the death of Jesus Christ, he has provided us access to the very throne room of God. And he even tells us, come boldly into the presence of God. It's like, this is where we belong. <laughs> I belong in the presence of God. And he doesn't have any barriers. He doesn't hold up, you know, a stop sign. He says, you know, we're welcome. And in this, he moves us to a position of grace. Grace def defined is God's divine favor. Do you have someone who is your favorite? How about, no, don't do it this way. Do you have a favorite piece of candy? <laughs> it's Easter, chocolate, you know, just thought I'd hit you where it hurts. No, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, do you have a favorite? So you have a favorite well, God is saying to you and I, you are his favorite. Now, that applies to me, but see, it applies to you. Divine favor doesn't put one ab above another. Divine favor puts it all, all who believe are joint heirs with Christ. All who believe have that same favored position. So he does not want any of us to feel less than another. In our relationship with Christ, that none of us are to feel less than other believers. We all have the same privileges, but you see, we don't have the same understanding. 
And that's where we have to look at our understanding and our understanding of scriptures and look at what Jesus has done for us. Now, his death and resurrection is the basis for, another got another big word, sanctification. <laughs> that's a big one. Well, you see, we are just as if we had never sinned. Therefore, we are set apart for a sacred purpose. You are set apart for a sacred purpose. Does that mean everyone here is going to be a missionary and go some? No. It means that in your everyday walk with God, you have a sacred purpose. We're not just living our life and existing until something bad happens or until we get what we want or where we're going. We have a sacred purpose, a mission we were created for. And that to find that mission, we have to, we have to discover our relationship with Christ. And if we have that relationship with Christ, we have this access to God, who God then is bestowing upon us his blessing, his favor. And in that place of favor, I find my sacred position. Wow. God has that place for each of us. Romans chapter 6 verses 3 to 11. Have you forgotten that all of us were baptized unto Jesus Christ, whereby that very action sharing in his death? Think about this. To those of you who have been baptized, now, whether you've been sprinkled or whether you've been immersed, we all have our preferences, <laughs> but we'll use the one that we have by immersion. And whenever you were baptized, okay, when you were baptized, we have immersion. And it's telling us that when you were baptized, you were uh, with Christ in that action of sharing in his death and being resurrected to newness of life like what happens on Good Friday, what happens on Easter. And it is an outward expression of what God has been doing in our own life. And so when we are baptized, we are baptized into this relationship with Jesus, expressing to others that we have found our faith in Christ, that we are forgiven, we are in a place of grace, of divine favor, and that God has a specific place, purpose for us in our life, and we are expressing our faith. Wow. <laughs> Let us never forget that our old selves died you know we didn't die <laughs> we're still here you know <laughs> I have people who have prayed for me to die but I you know I just refused you know you know I didn't I didn't I didn't answer their prayers so but those are the ones who didn't like me can you imagine someone not liking me that's a joke so <laughs> but we have this understanding of what God is to us and you know and it, it is a Never forget that our old selves, that person who has died, the person who has pre-forgiveness, you know, before that, that person, all the sin that we've done and asked for forgiveness, that that person is gone. So we move on. We can be sure that the risen Christ never dies again. Jesus died once and for all. Once for all, for all mankind, for all sin. He doesn't die again. In fact, the power of death can never touch him again. And so the power of death is taken away from us because with this body may die, 
But because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we shall all live. We're going to have a new body. Some of you are going to say amen, you know. I like to have one that's a little thinner, has hair, you know. <laughs> I try to create a little humor, you know, okay, so... I used to have one church, no, it has to be one church, it was a, probably the other, only other church. I've been here, we've been here 42 years. Can you imagine that? Well, we won't talk about that. Uh, but we, you know, I used to have a sign that I would say, and I'd hold it up, that's a joke. You know, you can laugh, you know, things like that. So I'll have to get, I'll have to get those signs and make them again. So in the same way, we look upon ourselves as dead to the appeal of sin. So that's like, it has no appeal. Sin, the things that would take us away from God, does not have an appeal to our life because we are dead to those things because Christ died for us. Now let's move to John chapter 20, verse 18. Mary Magdalene, has been to the tomb, and no one's there. It's empty. And she has seen the Lord. So she goes back to the disciples, verse 19, and it was the first day of the week, and that very evening which the disciples were together with the doors locked for fears of the Jews. Now, Sometimes, you know, people have said that, well, the Jews, the, the, the followers of Jesus went and robbed the body of Jesus. Sorry. <laughs> These guys are so frightened for their life, they're behind locked doors. And so behind locked doors, for fear of them being captured by the Romans and crucified, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. He said this, um, he said to them, after he had said, he showed them his hands and his side, and they saw the Lord, and the disciples were overjoyed. What happens, we're, we're seeing here, Jesus came to them, doors being locked, and Jesus came in and talked to the, the disciples, his followers. They were hiding, and now Jesus is verifying to them he's alive. Well, why? Why does he need to prove that he's alive? Because from this point on, the whole mission of Jesus takes on the perspective that he's been trying to tell his followers about. He did not come to establish a new uh, Israel. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom in the hearts of man. He came to establish a spiritual kingdom in the hearts and lives of people. And whenever we see this and whenever we begin to understand that, we find that Jesus by the Spirit, he can come to us. We can have a religious experience. We can have a God moment. We can have a, a time in which, wow, I, I really, for whatever reason, I felt like God was with me. And it doesn't have to be whenever it's a near death. <laughs> it can be at any moment of any day. It could be when we wake up or whenever we're going to bed. It could be in the middle of the day. We just take some time to think about God and to reflect on the message and upon the words in the scriptures. In 1 Corinthians, verse 15, chapter 15, verse 15, Paul is addressing the church at Corinth. 
And this is a very important thing because now if the raising of Christ from the dead is the very heart of our message, how can some of you deny that there is any resurrection? So what happens is <laughs> there was people in Corinth, the early church. There were people in, in the church. No, no, no. There's no such thing as a resurrection. You know, the, 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 you know he, he may have died on the cross. You know, he made it. But there's no such thing as a resurrection. So Paul is addressing that, that thought. For if there is no such thing as the resurrection of dead, then he's saying, then Christ didn't rise. And if Christ was not raised, then neither our preaching nor our faith has any meaning at all. So our understanding of eternal life, our understanding of life after death, comes from the Gospels, comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, there's no hope. You know, life is over whenever we close our eyes in death and, you know, that we're gone, you know. But that's not what the, the scripture is saying. Paul goes on, he says, further, it would mean, if Jesus isn't risen from the dead, further, it would mean that we are lying in our witness for God, for we have given our solemn vow, our solemn truth, our testimony that he did raise up Christ. And that is the utter false if it should be true that the dead do not, in fact, rise again. For if the dead do not rise, neither did Christ rise. And if Christ did not rise, your faith is futile. Your faith is vain. And your sins are never forgiven. Moreover, those who have died believing in Christ are utterly dead and gone. Truly, if our hope in Christ were limited to this life only, of all mankind, we are the most pitied. The value of the resurrection determines how you see life. The value of the resurrection determines how you live. Because understanding the truth of the resurrection means we understand that when this body stops functioning, everything that is life in us continues on. <laughs> We go home to heaven. And so the importance of that cannot be expressed because knowing how to live our life is the fundamental principle of living. Then we go on, Paul goes on and, and says in verse 20, but the glorious fact is that Christ did rise from the dead. He has become the very first to rise of all who sleep the sleep of death. Now, Understanding what, what Paul is saying here is death is somewhat like sleeping. Now, don't tell your children, your little ones, that, well, when somebody dies, they just go to sleep. I ain't going to bed no more. <laughs> They'll be up all night, <laughs> and you wonder why. Well, he scared them half to death. But anyhow, <laughs> the understanding is that just as we are awakened from sleeping, Jesus is saying we are awakened. Paul is saying we are awakened from death. We don't need to be afraid of dying. We need, you know, our concern is, are we right with God? If we are right with God in this life, everything's okay. You know, it doesn't mean we go out and, you know, I, I spoke about, uh, I think it was on Wednesday, we were in Jerusalem, not in Jerusalem, we were at the Sea of Galilee uh, on a tour, 
and we were in a motel, and we wanted to go to um, an event that was in the town there. I can't remember what it was, of the town. And so we got a taxi and went down to the town below us along the Sea of Galilee. And so the taxi driver took us through these alleys, you know, and down to where we wanted to go. But here there was a roadblock. So what he did was he shoved it in reverse and floored it. And he goes flying through all these intersections. It's like, slow down, you know, stop for traffic. God wills, God wills. And I mean, you know, <laughs> he, was, he was off and going. And it's like, we're thinking we're going to die in this taxi in a foreign land, you know. Well, being able to live our life is not one of those God wills, God wills, you know. No, we live our life under God knowing that we have a life eternal. And so we find... The glorious fact is that Christ did rise from the dead. That's what Paul is emphasizing here. As death entered the world through man, he uses, how did we get this way? Adam and Eve? <laughs> That's where death came from. The rising from the dead comes to us through one man. That's Jesus. As members of a sinful race, all men die the chances of getting out of life alive are very slim. There was this guy, now I got a joke. Now this guy, he was in Jerusalem, and, um, and please forgive me, mother-in-law, mother-in-laws, please forgive me. And his mother-in-law was with him on this, you know, over there in Israel, and she died. So the undertaker says, well, we can bury her here in Jerusalem, for, you know, $5,000, but to send her back to your home will cost about 30000 And the guy says, well, about 2,000 years ago, someone rose from the dead here. I don't want to take that chance. We're sending her home. <laughs> uh, see, I can't have a little humor thing. But we see as... As members of this race, this human race, we find that we have a relationship with God and that we are safe in Christ and our life is safe in him. So we see this in the Galatians chapter 20, excuse me, chapter 2, verse 20. Paul says that I am not the one living now. The importance of understanding the resurrection and forgiveness is that Christ lives in us. You don't have to do this alone. We're not isolated. We're not in this walk of life by ourselves. We find that Paul says, I am not the one living. It is Christ living in me. I still live in my body, but I live by faith in the Son of God. I live by faith that God is going to walk with me. It doesn't mean we understand of course, bad things happen. Things are going to happen. That's life. But the challenge is, Jesus is going to be with us to go through them. Acts chapter 26, verse 14. This is Paul in his testimony before King Agrippa. He's speaking of his Damascus Road experience. If you don't know Paul, his, for, his former name is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus hated the new Jewish religion called Christianity, or followers of Jesus. So Saul of Tarsus was throwing believers in jail. He was, you know, having them killed. And so he had a letter to go to Damascus and round up all those 
guys, those people who were believing in this Jesus person. And on the road to Damascus, he meets Jesus. He falls to the ground, and there is this brilliant light about him, and he hears the voice of God saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Paul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I am Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is an historical event that is documented in the scriptures over and over again. We are told how that Christ is alive. He ever lives. He ever lives to intercede for us. He is not about putting us in hell. He's about leading us into heaven. He's about giving us life and, and, and freedom of spirit to find that purpose that he has created us for. <laughs> Romans says if we are God's children, we will get the blessings God has for his people. You see, there are blessings in following Jesus Christ. There are his blessings, and we find that there is his provisions, and that God will do all that he can to help us, and, and he will work in our life. And so it's important that we follow Christ and that we see how that he is going to give us the strength in our daily lives to, be, to walk with him. <laughs> and in, and I'll have one other scripture, two other scriptures. 1 Corinthians, Paul is speaking to the church at Corinth again. He says, I gave you the message that I received. Paul's telling them, what I'm talking to you about is what I've received from Jesus Christ. I told you the most important truths. Christ died for our sins. I told you that. That he was buried and raised to life on the third day, as the scripture says. I've told you this. And he appeared to Peter. Then he, then he appeared to the 12 apostles. And after that, Christ appeared to more than 500 other believers. You see, the early martyrs that would not forsake their faith in Jesus, they knew him. They would not give up on their faith because they knew he was alive. And in our life, I think sometimes we're like the, the guys on the road to Emmaus. <laughs> These two guys have left Jerusalem and they are walking the road to Emmaus. And while they're walking this road, they're discussing the events that have happened with Jesus being crucified. And they're upset. They don't know, you know, they've heard rumors that he's risen from the dead. But they really, it's like, how can we believe this? And so as they're walking, this guy comes along with them. And he says, what's, what's going on? And so they tell him about Jesus being crucified, and they thought he was going to be their, their newfound Messiah. Well, this person who's walking with them begins to explain the purpose of Jesus. Why the prophecies of the Old Testament, why they, they pointed towards Christ's coming. And we find that when, they, when they, they continued their journey, when they got to their town, Emmaus, Jesus acted as if he was planning to, stop, he was planning to go further and they were going to stop. And in each of our lives, Jesus walks up and is walking with us. And there are times that he speaks to us about spiritual things, about spiritual things that are, involve our life. And 
he acts as if he's going to go further because, just like these individuals, they have to ask him to stay. Jesus will not come where he is not welcome. If we do not welcome his spirit and his love and his forgiveness, then it seemingly bypasses us for a time. But Jesus was going to go on, and these two guys, they say to, to Jesus, no, 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 come and, come and stay with us. It's late. So they go into their room, they go into their house, and they sit down at the table for a meal. And while they were sitting there at the meal at the table, Jesus kind of took over again because the head of the house is supposed to do this. He took the bread that was there, he prayed, and he broke it. And when he did this, the two people realized, oh, this is Jesus. Now, was it his prayer? Was it his voice? Was it the way he broke the bread? Or was it the scars in his arm and his hands that they saw and believed? And Jesus disappeared. In our life, do not let Jesus walk by. Ask him, receive him into your heart and life, and you will see, you will know that it is God. You will know that Christ has entered you, entered into your life, because you will experience that forgiveness and that relationship with God that will make, <laughs> will make an eternity of difference, because you will have found eternal life, and you will find the giver of life, Jesus. So do not allow Christ to walk by, but to take the truths of the scriptures and receive them into your heart. Receive Christ into your life because he is the resurrection and the life. And it is this one day of the year, but we can celebrate it every day of the year. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is resurrected for us. He died for you. He rose for you. And he is coming again for you. And he knows you by name and calls you to his kingdom. Shall we pray? Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you speak to our hearts by your spirit. It's not an audible voice, but it is an impression upon our minds or heart. And God, you give us this impression that you love us, but yet we feel distant from you. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for all those things that would come between us. We ask for your forgiveness. Forgive me, O oh Lord, and come into my heart and life. May the reality of the resurrection that is seen here in the Gospels and in the, in the message of the Scriptures, may it speak to our hearts that there is grace, there is divine favor for my life. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me. Thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you for your divine favor that now rests upon me. I praise you and I thank you. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. God bless you. And it wasn't quite an hour. But God bless you and happy Easter. <laughs>